This afternoon I may preach to you the word of God as the church confesses it and as we summarize it in Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism. Let's read that Lord's Day together. Lord's Day 32. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone, through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that while our, with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. In response to the preaching of God's word, we will sing afterwards from hymn 48, the third stanza. Beloved congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, with Lord's Day 32, we've come to the section that deals with thankfulness, the section of the catechism that deals with thankfulness. This part mainly explains the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, and you might say that it deals with the practical stuff of Christian living. But it's much deeper than that. By now, the catechism has taught us to understand our sin and our misery, We have confessed and understood Christ's work of grace for us, this undeserved and unmerited grace. We have learned that the believer in Christ is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. We share in Christ's anointing, and therefore we are not the people that we once were. And that's what the last part of the catechism is really about. What does a spirit-filled life look like? How does a Christian who is renewed by the Holy Spirit now live before God and live with the neighbor? And that's an important question, congregation, because it's so easy for Christians to have a one-sided view of salvation. All too often, we confess that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we stop there. And that's a disease that has plagued Christians for centuries. We are so easily tempted to dismiss the call for sanctified living. And of, as Reformed Christians, of course, we oppose the idea or the doctrine of salvation by works. But the Bible does call us to holy living. We have been saved for a purpose, congregation. Our Lord Jesus did not die on the cross just to bring us to heaven, but he died so that we might have new life in him, a living, vibrant, Holy Spirit-filled life. So I've summarized the sermon with this theme, Christ has redeemed us to produce fruit. In the first place, for God's glory, secondly, for our assurance, and in third place, for our neighbor's benefit.
As I just mentioned, we are easily tempted to dismiss the call for sanctified living, but equally dangerous is the tendency to overemphasize the importance of good works. People have also been doing that for centuries. There's always a danger that we slip into the thinking that salvation is a bit of a combined effort. Jesus can only save you if you do something too. Jesus can only save you if you stretch out your hand too and, and accept what he does for you. Or what is even more subtle, God will be more favorably disposed toward you if you pray more, if you read the Bible more, if you give more, if you volunteer more. Somehow your effort is supposed to improve your relationship with God. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Notice how we are saved, not because of our good works, but in order that we might do good works. Good works do not contribute to our salvation, not in any way, but they are the purpose to which we have been saved. God has even prepared them in advance for us to do. So then the wordiness of the first question in Lord's Day 32 isn't really all that redundant. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merit of our own. You know, that's a wordy question. But our confession wishes to impress on our minds the extent and the depth of grace. Not our works. Not the works of any saint or any creature can save. Us, or, or put us in, in, the, in good stead with God, but only Christ's work does that. And yet, yet we do good works. It's not our merit, but Christ's merit. And yet we do good works. We're called to do good works. And that's because Christ's redeeming work for sinners goes beyond justification. What would be the purpose of Christ's work, if after we have been declared right with God, nothing would change. If we would just keep on sinning and would never grow in faith. What would that say about the power of God's salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit? If we would just continue provoking and offending God with our sins, how would that honor and glorify His name? Because is that not the ultimate purpose for which we were created? Adam and Eve were created not because God needed them, for He is complete in Himself. But since God is God, and since that makes Him the greatest thing that ever has existed, ever exists, and ever will exist, then it stands to reason that whatever He does must be for His own honor and glory. Scripture says that we were also chosen in Him having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. We were predestined in Christ for the praise of His glory. 
And the prophet Isaiah records these words of God, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created, brothers and sisters, for the glory of God. And this, we confess, is the work of Christ's Spirit in us. He renews His image in us. And that should remind us again of God's original purpose for man. We were created in the image of God to reflect God's image back to Him. And now let's think for a moment of what that looked like in paradise. When Adam and Eve lived and worked in the Garden of Eden, they reflected in their thoughts and in their words and in their actions the righteousness and holiness of God. Their love for each other reflected God's love for them. Their love for creation reflected God's love for His creation. Their obedience and faithfulness to God reflected God's perfect faithfulness to Himself. And their dominion over creation reflected God's rule over this world. But then when Adam and Eve sinned, then of course this all disappeared. Indeed, instead of bearing the image of God, they reflected the image and the lie of Satan. Love turned into hatred, and obedience into rebellion, stewardship into tyranny. And they who were righteous became guilty, and they who were holy became corrupt. But then God promised that he would send his son, to remove that corruption and that guilt, to restore the image of God in man. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son into this world, and Jesus Christ came to earth as the new Adam to reflect God's image perfectly. He reflected God's love and his righteousness and his faithfulness and his holiness. He was the perfect image of the Father. And he spoke the very words of the Father, the very words of God, and he acted in full accord with the will of his Father in heaven. He reflected God's image and glory back to him perfectly, which was the original purpose for which man was created. And so he fulfilled God's purpose for the human race. And by his perfect obedience, he obtained for us the righteousness and holiness that we lost through the sin of of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and through our own sin. But it doesn't end there. Because those for whom Christ died are now being renewed in His image through the work of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. So we don't just become saved people later on when we go to heaven, but we are saved already on this earth. And that means that already here and now we begin to be like Christ. That is the great work with which Christ is busy with today. He is renewing us. He's recreating us for the purpose of giving glory and honor to God. So do you see what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing for us, congregation? He gives us much more than just pardon for sin. He also gives us what we need to live with renewed purpose. To live for God's glory and His honor. By nature, we want to live for our own glory. 
But Christ's Spirit makes it possible for us to be reborn, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, and to live for God. He makes it possible for us to hate sin and live according to God's will. And He helps us to fight against our old nature and to put on the new nature. A new nature. It's important for us to to think about that and to realize that. Because the renewal of the Holy Spirit is not something that is superficial. It's not some sort of external coating that sort of covers up the old nature, like a coat of paint covers some old rotten-looking wood. It's not something we wear like a facade, but it's a complete and radical change of heart and mind and will. The regenerating work of the Spirit penetrates into the innermost recesses of the heart and soul, as we read in Hebrews 4, which tells us that the Word of God is living and active and penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And what is the result? The result is that the Spirit opens our stubborn minds to God's Word. It softens hard hearts. It changes our will, which by nature only want to hate God and the neighbor. It makes us willing to serve the Lord and to glorify God. The Spirit makes that which is dead alive. It makes that which was bad good. It makes that which is unwilling willing. It turns our stubbornness into obedience. The Spirit changes us from the inside out. Changes our inner motives. Otherwise it would not be true renewal. And God would not receive the glory. And now you might ask, how is this possible? How can people who are born and conceived in sin become people who live for God's glory? Well, that's because Christ is not only the source of our new life, but also the continual source of the new way of life. Just as branches are grafted into a vine and receive new life from the vine, so we are given a new life in Christ And the sap of His life continues to flow into us and restore us and renew us from one day to the next. So it's really impossible for believers not to do any good works. For Christ is at work in us, producing the fruits of our gratitude by His Spirit. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians 2, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And that tells us, brothers and sisters, that we also have a calling and a responsibility when it comes to the fruit production in our lives. Because notice how that text says, work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation but work out your salvation. In other words, you already have it So work it out. That must be our thankful response to God's gift of salvation. And when that thankfulness comes from the heart, then we also want to do everything in our power to improve that life of thankfulness. You see, even though the renewal of our life is completely the work of Christ we still remain active participants 
in producing fruit. And that's why it's so important to get to know God better by getting to know His Word better. His Word teaches us and it encourages us in our Christian living. His Word is the medicine that we need to improve our Christian life. All too often we're ready to skip over our daily devotions or do them in a hurry, but that only results in less fruit. And less fruit means less glory to God. Someone once wrote that we often treat our faith like an important document. We put it in a safe place so we don't lose it. But that has no value. Such a faith makes no impact on your life or the life of others. But faith that is real is faith that is expressed. Faith that glorifies God. For what use would it be if salvation did not affect our lives? Of what benefit would it be if we still remained idolaters, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, or or robbers, as we read in our confession? Would God then receive any honor and glory? Would we then be able to see any evidence in our lives that God's work of salvation is real? And that brings us to our second point. For the fruit of faith not only glorifies God, but it's also there for our benefit, for our assurance. We confess that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Now there are some who would accuse the catechism of being a little selfish here. Why would we put ourselves before our neighbors? But the answer is really quite simple. How could we ever hope to win our neighbor for Christ if we are not first assured and convinced of our own salvation? And other critics say that this confession is a dangerous introspection. The catechism, they say, gets us to pay more attention to our faith than to God's promises. And so this could either give a rise rise to a false sense of security or complete despair. But this is a, a false dilemma, beloved. We should never contrast God's grace with our responsibility or play off redemption in Christ over against God's call for obedience. Scripture clearly teaches us that when we walk with the Lord, we may be assured of our faith. Listen to what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, is urging us to display by faith the fruits of the Spirit. For where the fruits of the Spirit are present, their faith and the Spirit are present. 
And yet we ask ourselves, how can this be? Are not our best works defiled with sin? Do we not confess that? And isn't it true that even the holiest people in this life have but a small beginning of obedience? Another confession from our catechism. And don't we despair because we are often so weak and we find that our faith is weak? And how often doesn't our old nature rear its ugly head and we have to fight against it? It can be, it can be a depressing exercise to take a close look at all our good works But our confession tells us differently. It teaches us to look at the fruits of our faith. Why do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Why do you trust in him alone for your salvation? Why do you serve the Lord? Why does it bother you that you don't love your neighbor as well as you could or should? How is it possible that these desires exist in your heart? Is that not because the Holy Spirit is at work in you? Do you really think that you could have these desires without the Holy Spirit? And don't you see, brothers and sisters, that looking at the fruits of our faith is not a subjective exercise, but an objective one. The Bible tells tells us exactly what these fruits are. That's the measuring stick that we are to use. Faith. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. And no, that doesn't mean that we ignore the fact that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not at all. But there is a relationship between God's promises and our good works. We are convinced of our faith by God's promises, but we are assured of our faith by our works. And the more our good works increase, the more our assurance increases. And so then with the words of Peter, for this very reason, we make every effort to add to our faith, for we are eager to make our calling and election sure. So then we see that the obedience of faith leads to assurance of faith. But the opposite is true as well. When your life is infertile and unfruitful, then you will begin to doubt. Then you will, when you pull yourself back, for example, from the communion of saints and stop serving others, you will feel like you're lonely, but it's a, it's a lonely prison of your own making. And such disobedience and unfruitfulness then only leads to spiritual death if you keep that up. For if you do not serve those whom Christ loves, then you are not serving Christ. And he will say that he doesn't know you, as we read in Matthew 25. So brothers and sisters, it's a miracle of God's grace that we do produce fruit. And it's a miracle when we want to produce fruit. But at the same time, the fruits of faith are themselves a gift of grace that we accept with gratitude For it assures us of our faith. It assures us of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, which he works out in our lives, and he continues to work out in our lives to God's glory and for the benefit of our neighbor. And that's our last point. When we are assured of our own salvation, then we also more and more become a a light to the world. 
Lives that produce fruits of faith are lives that stand out. We know, of course, that the Bible teaches that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. It is the Spirit who works faith in the hearts of all who believe. But it goes without saying that if our lifestyle does not match the message, then the message is compromised. It is, it's sanctified living that catches the eye of your neighbor, isn't it? He won't come asking you questions if he can't tell that you are different. And, and your neighbor won't ask you about the hope that is in you if, if you're always living as if there is no hope. The point is, congregation, that there's nothing that turns off unbelievers as much as when Christians don't walk the talk. How... How can we ever expect to impress anyone with the message of salvation if we can't impress anyone with our lifestyle? The world knows when there's fighting in the church. The world knows when there's scandal in the church. But the world also knows when you're not a grumbler or a complainer. The world knows you're different when you're not always complaining about the weather or your taxes or anything else. They pay attention when you speak positively about your spouse at work and you don't go along with the dirty jokes. The Lord Jesus says that we have to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, invite strangers into our homes and look after our sick, the sick neighbor. And we should not think that this command is limited only to the people in our church family. Imagine if we all knew our unbelieving neighbors well enough to do these kinds of things for them, what a witness to God's love that would be. Once again, congregation, it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit that people come to faith. But he also uses our godly walk of life to attract others. He blesses the lives of others by the fruit that we produce. Sometimes actions actions really do speak louder than words. And so we can see that it's important as to how we live our lives, how we live up to the name Christian. For if we don't, then, then God's name is not honored, then we don't receive the assurance of faith, and our neighbor is not one for Christ. And those last two words of answer 86 are very important because it's all for Christ. Bearing fruit is all to God's honor. It begins and it ends with Him. We are called to bear fruit so that He may be praised by us and so that Christ will receive more praise when others begin producing fruit as well. So our thankfulness and our godly walk of life, our assurance of faith, winning our neighbor for Christ, all these are fruits of faith that must serve the honor and glory of our God and of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.